Hey, what's up, y'all? You know who it is, or maybe you don't, but it's me, uh, the host of Dadcasting with Drew. This is Drew. I'm back at it again. This is episode two. I hope last week you enjoyed the intermission while I got a chance to let y'all know how we doing at the Holguin house, house front household, as well as some random thoughts as a father. Uh, some of them funny, some of them weird, uh, some of them whatever, but real thoughts that pop into my head, real things that happen throughout the week. Um, as y'all know, if you listen to the first episode, it had my father, and I started there because he's the foundation of what it means for me, what it means to be a man, what it means to uh, be a father. And then with the next guest coming up, he's one of a kind. I consider him a, a great teacher. I consider him a mentor of mine in the work in regards to unpacking and undoing what it means to be um, a man and trying to rebuild re-socialize, redefine what it means to be a healthy form of a man, right? And so this man's name is Obari Barksdale. I'll let him do his due diligence on on his intro. Uh, But if y'all don't know who he is, you better chime in because we are super blessed that he's willing to give up his time to be with us today. Um, So yeah, I'm honored, I'm blessed, and I've learned a lot from him, and I hope you do as well. And then lastly, one other thing that's important for y'all to know too, as, as I've been thinking about doing when as I've been thinking about it as I'm doing this podcast, is although you know the root and foundation of this podcast, this dad casting, is aimed towards men, specifically fathers who are trying to do things differently as it pertains to um, defining what it means to be a healthy form of masculinity, undoing patriarchy, undoing uh, misogyny and rape culture is the attempt. It also is a platform for folks who don't identify as men, folks who don't identify as masculine to to give hope, to say like, yo, there's a whole bunch of men out here that are actually trying to do things differently. Um, and at times where society or really the world is showing us that that's not the case, but we're out here. It may not be a lot of us, but we're out here. But anyway, stay tuned. Omar Barksdale coming up. Enjoy episode two. Peace. All right, y'all, here we are. Um, thanks for uh, tuning in. This dad casting with Drew. I'm your host, Drew. Uh, you already know, as I told you last week in the intermission, that uh, episode two, we had an amazing guest. Um, you know, episode one, I had to start with my father. I got to start with the roots. But this next guest by the name of Omari Barksdale is one that has really inspired me in this work in terms of becoming a healthier and healthier man. So again, because of COVID-19, we got folks on the phone. Uh, the one and only Amari Bark still calling in from uh, Detroit. That's where you're at right now, correct, Omari? Yes, sir. All right. How you doing? I'm doing well. Doing well. Yeah. What's uh, what's the weather like these days over there in, in Detroit? Well, uh, it was 70 degrees uh, last Wednesday, and then today uh, we had snow. Oh, are you serious? In the last two days, we had snow. Oh, man. Okay. Prince, Prince, Prince said, uh, "Sometimes it snows in April." You know. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. Well, yo, um, I'm really, I'm thankful. You know, I know you're a busy guy. You do a lot of things um, out here, and so I'm just super. I'm actually super honored and blessed and 
humbled that you'd be willing to sit down with me and, and do this on this platform. Um, and like I was telling the, the, the listeners is that, you know, I've always wanted to be a better man, but it wasn't until I met you and understood some of your teachings that it really clicked to me that, you know, I was kind of half-assed in doing the work. And so um, you're, you've been an inspiration to me. So I'm just, I just want to thank you out, out the gate. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It was a pleasure working with you. Yeah. I yeah. also want to like, before we jump into anything, feels weird for me not to check in. I want to say, you know, I sent you a little message on Facebook or something where I want to um, send my condolences again for, for your loss of your sister recently as well. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm sure I'm, yeah. I'm only assuming you're probably holding up as best you can. You know, it's a day to day thing, you know, but, uh, my family and I have received so much, man, I never knew that one person could feel this, the, 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 uh, infusion of so much love and support has it's been, it's been amazing. Oh, really? That's good to hear, man. It really is. Yeah. People rallying around you. And then how you doing and your community in Detroit doing with all this lockdown situation? You know, man, it's, it's, it's crazy because <clears throat> I've lost at least 20 people mm-hmm. since the day my sister passed. Uh, and, you know, not being able to go to, to funerals, not being able to hug loved ones, you know, but also just not being able to get out and for people who are me like me that are intro and intro extroverts, mm-hmm. you know, I need part of my grieving process and part of my balancing process is getting up and going somewhere. You know, even if it's a nice restaurant or a quick little four-hour drive to Chicago for you know for a day or something. You know, yeah. Uh, but we don't have access to our routines, the things that calm us, the things that. Um, that that relaxes so you know we, we have to do everything differently now man and i think we just it's trial by fire some stuff works some doesn't yeah you, know, you no. get some zoom zoom calls with a bunch of people and they don't know zoom etiquette yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> so everybody's talking at the same time but you know at least you can see each other yeah yeah no it's been it's definitely been been strange you know it's been very strange and it's been very eye-opening i was just talking to one of to my my supervisor my, my one of my mentors today and it's it's exposing to the world you know all our shortcomings i mean we know in our country the shortcomings but it's really exposing it now so yes indeed um well i usually like to kick off um and not this is actually not just something i'm doing for the podcast but it's also what i do with you know, the youth and the staff I work with, when we, we sit in story, I always ask people to start off with their full name and their date of birth, if you're comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then also, uh, we like to bring ancestors in the room. So who who are your parents, their names? And then we'll go from there. So uh, my name is Omari Barksdale, November 25th, 1973. Uh, my mother, fortunately, is still with us. Uh, her name is Stephanie Barksdale. Mm. And my father, Daniel Kennedy, uh, he's, he became an ancestor in September 6, 2002. Uh, and then both of my sisters, or two of my sisters, Dekaya Kennedy and Lanika Barksdale, um, uh, are no longer with us. Rest in peace. Any other siblings left then? 
Yeah, so I got uh, my older sibling, my brother Daniel Daniel Washington, my uh, my my youngest sister Tiana Barksdale, and then my little brother, my youngest sibling. Mm. Uh, his name is Dewan Kennedy. Okay. And everyone's and, in uh, Detroit. My, I do have a sister through my sister. My 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 sister and I have different fathers, but my sister Sharita Johnson. She's always she she's. My sister's biological sister, but that makes her my sister too. So no, I hear that. <clears throat> yeah. What um and is all these folks like is this is all Detroit folks or yeah we all in the D all in the D yes sir okay oh man it's snowing again it's snowing I wish I could show you currently big I'm, flakes big uh, flurry flakes uh, I was tempted to do some kind of a, a, a zoom or something like that just so we can actually be fit, seeing each other I didn't think about it till a little too late you know. That's all right. Um, well, why don't you tell us a little bit? Like I already know, but our listeners uh, don't, or some may. But a little bit about your upbringing. Um, kind of like I remember you telling the intro at one of the trainings you did, which kind of like you started off kind of in your earlier days and kind of led into the work you were doing. So maybe you could start with that a little bit. Yeah, I, I grew up, man. I grew up uh, <clears throat> mostly, <clears throat> excuse me, mostly on Detroit's west side. Uh, and uh, now I grew up in a house with six women, you know, grandmother, mother, two aunts and two sisters. Um, so I was always considered the man in the house, even though the narrative is kind of a bad narrative at this point, um, mm-hmm. when you really unpack it. But that's what I was always told, you know what I mean? So uh, I went from, from uh, school to school and, you know... Detroit was a little rough when I was coming up. It's, you know, still a little rough. But uh, went on to college, and during my college years, I became a bouncer and eventually started doing some bodyguard work as well. Um, uh, but I went to a, a school, Fair State University, where I met a lot of really great friends that are still great friends. In fact, most of the people I went to college with, we all pretty tight-knit as a, as a group. Um but, you know, so violence was part of my, my culture. Even though I wasn't typically a violent person, but the line of work I was in. Yeah. You know, it attracted that kind of situation uh, nightly, <laughs> you know, every night. So, um, so yeah, then I, I came back home to Detroit, you know, my, my early 20s. And, you know, just had to readjust to living in the city because, you know, my college was a little college town. That's right. What college was it again? I'm sorry. Fair, Fair State University. It's about a 45 miles north of Grand Rapids, Michigan. So okay. it's up there. It's pretty up there. Okay. Um, you know, it's on the way. It's on the way to the top of the the, the mitten. Um, but yeah, so uh, that was here in Michigan. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, you know, I I I, I just have been involved with a lot of things from politics to security various security work uh, to uh, performing poetry for many years from state to state. I did over a hundred and I might be over 200 university and college performances overall. Uh, And I represented Detroit on nine national poetry slam teams, you know, out Mm. of Detroit at the national poetry slam each year. So uh, I had a pretty successful 
an elevated poetry career, been blessed to have that. Um, you know, I came up around the hip hop fam, you know, so Studio Rat, you know, had we had our own studio for a minute and yeah, I've been kinda in, in the mix of a whole lot of things from activism to art to, you know, personal protection. You know, mm-hmm. it's been it's been a crazy ride. Yeah, I mean, it seems like all those things. There's a there's a connection between all those things in a sense, but yet they're all yeah. they're all a little different, huh? Yeah, absolutely. What was the um, and, I'm, and I'm a animal animal retired massage therapist too, so I did that for what? I, over I didn't. Years. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember that from. Yeah. That okay. Yeah. Just discovering new things about you every time we talk, huh? <laughs> you can't live in Detroit with one job, man. Not... <laughs> oh, is that is that pretty common that folks got multiple hustles or what? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, I'm yeah. curious if you could talk to us about how you fell into, um, man, I don't even know what you call this work. I don't, actually, that's actually a question. What do you call this work that, that you're doing and that I'm trying to get more involved in? So it's just, it, it, it's really just uh, uh, focusing on developing healthier forms of masculinity, uh, and more more importantly, uh, working with men so that we know how to model healthier forms of masculinity, which includes understanding the the nuances and layers of of violence against women uh, and violence between men. Mm. To boys and girls, you know, mm-hmm. how boys and girls are impacted as well. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, so, yeah, how'd you fall into that? So, you know, uh, I always was one of the guys that the women would call when they were having problems with a man, right? So I thought that the best way to handle it and, and be a man was to go handle it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a, a, a friend slash mentor of mine in the poetry world. Uh, she pulled me aside and said, yeah, I'm starting this uh, this organization called Sasha Center. And we're going to focus on uh, holistic healing for survivors of sexual assault, specifically uh, African-American women, because there are no organizations in the country that focus on African-American women. So um, she said, but I need to tell you there's some things that that you can no longer do. And you can't you can't handle you can't fight everybody. You can't beat up everybody that ever hurts a woman. Mm-hmm. And you have to look at yourself and see if you're hurting women, maybe not physically, but in other ways. So, you know, I, I joined on as a founding board member. And, and a few years later, she invited me to a training which was a training focusing on healthy, healthy masculinity. And I was already starting to do the work a little bit, but not even knowing what it was that I was doing. Uh, but much like you said about when you came to my training, when I walked in the doors of that training, everything just, just, I made a million light bulbs. Probably had the whole, probably had the, the light of the sun in my head. It was so many light bulbs going off. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot, you know, but I was, I was glad to be, and that was a, um, 40 hour training. I think it was at least, okay. it was at least a 20 hour training, but it might've been a 40 hour training, but I continued to train just last year. 
I went to a training uh, with uh, with an organization in Washington D.C. Um, uh, called Men Can Stop Rape, and I did another training there. And this is after I became someone who does trainings, and but I just constantly want to continue to learn and evolve and be more effective. So yeah. And how long ago would you say you got into like when when you uh, the one, what was the woman's name who created Sasha Center? Kalima Johnson. Kalima yes. Johnson. So when did that combo that training, happen? That training was actually in uh, <clears throat> so yeah, I want to say it was July of 2015. So not too long ago. Okay. Yeah. So almost five years ago then. Yeah. Okay. And then I'm I'm curious too. Like, so you started working at the Sasha Center. Uh, you did start doing some trainings there. How did you get connected with like? It's like when you came up to work with us at Open School, and train some of our leaders over in our org. Like, would that be like your own private business, or is that was that through Sasha yeah, so Center? Or talk to me about how so that works. I do it. I, I do I do this work a few different ways, right? Salsa Center was the inception of it. So I still work with Salsa Center. I'm Salsa Center's only male facilitator. Mm. So I do what we call the prevention side of Salsa Center. So I work with men and, and, and uh, folks who identify as, as masculine. Um, but I also work with a domestic violence organization called Haven in Pontiac, Michigan. That's Oakland County. Uh, an organization called Wayne County Safe here in Detroit. That's Wayne County. And I work with the Detroit Lions uh, in partnership with them uh, in high schools, doing trainings through Sasha Center. I've trained community organizations. But uh, pretty much when I leave the state or if I'm called on, not you know, not through the organization, but if I'm called on directly, then I do it directly myself. And that's, that is... Uh, a business of mine, you know, um, but it's more than a business, you know, mm -hmm. you can't pay me enough for what I do, but I also would do what I do without being paid. I mean, I have done it without being paid. So, yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's my passion. It's my purpose is, it's my duty. So, yeah. What do you think for you? Cause this was, at least when I first kind of was, um, becoming truly enlightened by that i mean like really looking in the mirror really being in integrity uh, whether people are watching or not in regards to how i how i show up as a man right um what was your biggest like hypocrisy or contradiction with your own like an internal battle when you first got into this work that you really struggle with it's still my still my internal battle um and i always tell people like when I, if you notice, when you were in my training, I didn't point fingers at people. I t I used we and us. Okay. How do we get better? You know, what is it we can do? You know, us men, what can we do to be better? Right? Because I'm still evolving. I have 46 years of this mess, to, this societal training to funnel and filter out. Right. So, still one of my. Uh, <clears throat> One of my biggest, uh, I don't know if it's hypocrisy or dilemma or, or all of the above, is hip-hop. Mm. Right? So I, I came up, 
I was a hip hop brat. You know what I mean? I was a hip hop kid. Uh, and listening to hip hop, I love all kinds of hip hop from all all over the country. You know, and even some from France and other places, right? But uh, so, but it's a lot of hip hop is laden with misogyny. Even some of the more uh, uh, more knowledgeable artists who who claim to be on board with women, you can listen to their work and still find a lot of misogynistic issues in their work, right? So, no man, is that the truth? So I, I I pride myself in having a filter. Like they calling women this this and that in that song and. That don't mean I gotta view women that way. I like isolate those parts of the song and throw them out. In fact, when I hear it, I say, "And you didn't even need to say that right there." <laughs> but the rest of the song was dope. You know what I mean? So uh-huh. for me, I can never enjoy. It's rare that I can enjoy an entire hip hop song. There's, there's like it's almost like you sit down at dinner and you have this entree and you have all these sides. And all these sides are good, and the entree is, is pretty good, but there's one side that's horrible. You're not going to eat that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it throws off the balance of the whole meal. It's like, all you had to do was learn how to cook this side right. I hear you know? That. And it's like hip-hop. All you had to do was learn how to reference and treat women right. But you're lazy. And hip-hop is lazy in that way. Um, but... If I don't have that filtered, how much hip hop do I really have to listen to? I'm glad you brought that up, Omari, because that, that was one of my topics I wanted to talk to you about. Because that's something that I'm struggling with a lot. Mm-hmm. And and even when I was watching, I was telling you the other day via text or something. I was watching that uh, Wu Tang documentary, and man, I love. I'm, I'm, that's what. That's the probably one of Wu Tang. And De La Soul Tribe are probably the three groups that got me vibing with the East, mm-hmm. vibing with East Coast and with okay. conscious rap or whatever, however you want to label it, right? Not the super right. mainstream stuff, but um, but even and then, none, they, of it, none of that stuff you named is conscious, but we label it that for some. But reason. that's but that's here's what I'm this what I'm getting at. So that's considered <laughs> conscious, right? But even that, right. they got these. You know, they're talking about uplift in one song. Or another uplifting black women and treat them a certain way or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yet they're using the word and part of my language, you know, pussy and faggot and all these words and a bunch of other songs. So it's like, I'm just like, oh man. So now what do I do as a hip hop head? Like, yeah. what, what do I listen? Yeah. And all the new stuff coming out is even it's like it's progressively getting worse. And so I'm like, man. Yeah, that, I mean, I feel stuck. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. So what do you do so, now? Do you like just totally just don't listen to nothing that comes on the radio or nothing like that? You're like, I'm only going to listen no, to it. No, I, or... I still listen to it. I just listen to it with a grain of salt. And I let it, I let it when I listen to it and they throw out the violations, I let that fuel the work I do. Okay, you know, I see. I let it inspire me more as an artist and as a as an educator in this field. I let it. I let it serve as a higher inspiration to me, right? Now, some of it I just can't listen to anymore. I can't listen to the old Dr. Dre album. You know, <laughs> there's certain uh, 
it's just certain certain joints I just can't I can't listen to. You know what, you know what I mean? Like just even like Ice Cube's earlier stuff, I can't listen to it. Too many violations per track. It's, it's, bro, it's like a sexual assault track. You know, it's like a sexual assault album. Mm-hmm. It's like a I'm I'm tearing women down album. Uh. When I'm listening to Tupac, I can listen to Tupac because he's so brilliant and and emotionally intelligent in so many ways. But I struggle with Tupac because one song is Dear Mama and Keep Your Head Up and they song I get around and they wonder why they, they, wonder why they call you B. You know, uh, so I, I struggle. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. And... I, I think part of the struggle is I'm trying to identify with them myself, even currently. Mm-hmm. If I'm still listening to this stuff because my male privilege allows me to give it a discount, you know, my, my, my male privilege side allows me to say, well, I have a filter. That's not me. You know, I don't even say that part of the song when it comes on. Um, and it's like, okay, but is that enough? And I don't know if that's enough, and I don't think it's enough, but I have not figured out a way to navigate and still love the pure part of the culture, the great part of the culture, the amazing and, and fantastic and creative side of the culture. So I have friends that of mine that have died. Jay Dilla from Slum Village, Bob from Slum Village, Proof. Well, Can you tell me a little know, bit about how you know those guys? I mean, just from being in the Detroit hip-hop arena, you know, in the poetry world, we all kind of, we're in the same spaces a lot. Gotcha. Um, and and, and uh, my, my partner, founder uh, the Black History 101 Mobile Museum, Dr. Khalid L. I. Kim, has always been a leader since the 90s in the hip-hop uh, world. Right. And, and, you know, we travel together, you know, of me being out there with the museum in Portland. Right. Um, but he managed the last poets. He managed uh, proof from D12. He was doing some management work with Batan when Batan died. So we were all intertwined. Detroit is a big place, but a small place. OK. You know, uh, we knew we know Eminem. We know Royce the five nine. You know, I'm not close to either one of them. Royce or M, but you know, we're not, we're only one degree away from each other, if that, at any given time. So, but even then, like I listened, like I was proud of Royce, this album, for making so many strides. I still would like to see more strides in getting away from, uh, you know, some of the misogynistic lyrics, but, you know, I don't expect anybody to get it. Overnight, I don't expect anybody, but he cleaned up so much, but he just elevated as an artist. On the last three albums, it's like he elevated each album. And he's such a brilliant and talented, like he's the GOAT of Detroit. He's one of the GOATs of hip-hop, you know? Yes, um, yes. And I mean, he's just, he's just, I mean, I, I can't say enough about his talent level. I only saw him live one time. Mm-hmm. You saw him live? I saw him live. Well, you remember Surge, right? Shout out Surge Severe from yeah, yeah. Uh, Portland. Yeah, uh, Surge opened for him at the Hawthorne Theater, I would say, five, four or five years ago. 
And okay. he blew me away because he was literally, I mean, you're so used to seeing up guys up there doing, you know, with, with a bunch of backup guys or rapping over their own lyrics. And this dude went track after track after track just by himself. Just, I'm like, how does this, I was wondering about his lung capacity. It was crazy. <laughs> That's what but I was impressed know, with. So, so here's another thing about the the misogyny in the culture. Yeah. If I tune out, if I have to tune out misogyny from hip hop, then I have to tune out misogyny everywhere. Which means there isn't too many men, including myself, I can have a conversation with, right? And I look at it as an opportunity. On, 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 on another level and know people's work so that if I ever get an opportunity to work with them I can come from a genuine standpoint of of knowing their music and knowing what they're talking about and hopefully have an opportunity to uh, help them reframe some of the thinking gotcha. you know I would love to be in a room with 20 major hip hop artists having the training I had with, with you all. Oh, my goodness. I wonder how they would react. That'd be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? training would have to be a lot longer. <laughs> that would be a... You might have to do, like, a month seminar or something with that. Yeah. What, one of the but things... You're also I, telling, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, so you also be telling people to change... Change the way they do something they have only done this one way for so long. And that's what leads me to my, one of the things I I struggle with, Omari. And so I'm wondering for you, like, like for the most part, I've done a really good job as I've gotten older to figure out, look, I'm only going to rock with people in my life who, who are real, that are authentic, that are empathetic, that have the same, you know, moral compass as I do. But even then, you know, you still got, you know, men, like myself included, that continue to perpetuate things. I struggle with educating or interrupting misogyny or sexism or, you know, I don't know really necessarily. Like, I feel like I got really decent at interrupting um, homophobia. homophobia. Um, but besides just call out, hey, don't say that. Like, I don't really know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of stuck on how to, like, interrupt it in the moment or... Even getting yeah. in to even consider, yo, bro, what you're saying or how you're moving isn't working for, for most people. Or, but so what? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's tough. And I would say not to be too hard on your circle as far as them having to be at this certain level. I think the biggest thing you want to do is make it real plain and obvious to them. That if you're in my circle <clears throat> and I don't see you working to evolve and try, then I can't rock with you mm. because I can't bring you around my, my 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 children or my wife. I can't. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just certain things. No, that's real. You know that I can't rock with you on. So so if you if you're not trying to evolve, then especially as it relates to treatment and, and view of women and girls then I don't really have space for you because then you're hurting my evolution. Ooh, right? Okay. So, uh, but, but as far as addressing and interrupting, it's, it's hard. 
and you can't do it every single time. You can't fight every battle. You got to pick and choose. And sometimes you are not in an emotional space or not in a even uh, calm enough space to address it. Um, but, but if you catch yourself never addressing it, then you know that you are being part of the, the perpetual problem. So here's some of the things that I tend to do. <clears throat> First off, I don't worry about feelings, right? Okay. Because if I worry about somebody's feelings who are offensive to women, then what I'm doing is not worrying. Then I'm, I'm worried about their feelings, but not worried about women's feelings, right? That's, that's the first piece. That's pretty concrete <laughs> and clear. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> is you have to build up your stamina to do it. And what I mean by that is you have to learn the languages and that takes practice and you sometimes are going to interrupt it and not have the right language but that's alright because you're still interrupting it. Um, and you want to make sure that you're practicing the greatest amount of safety. So if you're interrupting it, you want to make sure you're not putting you and that person, that woman in harm's way. Uh, if, you're, if you're interrupting it and there's not a woman in the room, uh, you have a better chance because the ego gets really bad in front of women. We'll get, men will get offended when you check us in front of that woman about how we just suspect that woman. Because that woman now will look at us as less than a man if we don't step back to you. So we're still worried about what she thinks about us. We just don't want to have to think well about her. So, so you have to, you have to be able to do it when a woman is in the room and when she's not in the room. But the best way is to use questions, right? Like, not questions like, how would you feel if your mom happened to your mom and your daughter? <laughs> yeah, you know, that might not land well. Questions more like, because some of them don't care about their mom and their daughter, for one. That's real. And for two, they, for two, they might see them special or unique because of their mother and daughter and it's a proximity piece. But the the biggest the biggest question you want to ask is, uh, you know, something more to the effect of, do you, are you at all concerned? with the treatment of women in this world. Because even if they answer that horribly, it's, it's, you, you're getting them to turn their wheels. Okay. And that's really what it's all about. Your questions, questions will open up more questions. And you can, that questions lead to conversation. But if you just try to shut a man down, like, dude, you shouldn't be doing that, then, then you're triggering his ego. I know, that's the hard, that's where I struggle because that's kind of what I've done. And then, yeah, then, and men can't hear through ego. And you know what? It's a trip as you're talking about ego a second ago, as we are touching on it. I'm like, man, ego might need a whole new episode itself for a whole season. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if we got time to even do that. Ego is. <laughs> man. Yeah, just, just know ego is the greatest definer of men. Hmm. I was actually. Once our ego kicks in, we don't hear nothing. Actually, the craziest, I was talking to a, uh, a friend of mine the other day. We are kind of talking about this kind of similar stuff, and we are just like, 
I don't know if it's an exaggeration or if or, or if I'm just being as real as I can be, but like men and the male's ego, it seems to be like the most like destructive thing this planet has ever been introduced, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like if you think really think about it, like I can't think of anything that's caused more harm, taken more lives yeah. than the ego of of us, right? Yeah. yeah, it's the greatest weapon, you know. It's the greatest manipulator. Mm. It's, it's, it's the uh, it's the greatest excuse. You know, I mean, it's just it's it's the worst thing we have. Man, and, and the biggest reason why it's the worst thing we have is because it's prosthetic in nature and very much toxic, right? Mm-hmm. So it's definitely sim- a symbiote. It's something that enters your body and kills you. So you become a puppet to the ego. That's dark. (laughs) That's dark. That's real, though. Yeah, no. You're right on. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the things, I only got a couple things um, I want to talk with you left just because uh, due to time, I I want to honor and value, value your time, Omari, but... Um, maybe just speak to us uh, for a second on like what has been some of your greatest successes and also some of your greatest challenges in this work um, specifically as okay. it relates to like unhealthy masculinity and the work you're doing with men so by far my greatest success is the work I have done <clears throat> with the Lions having right the Detroit Lions um, people say we never win a championship, but we've won a bunch of them, right? No, I see. So I get to go into high schools and talk to groups of young men for eight weeks, right? Same young men for eight weeks. And I get to see those high school-age boys evolve in real time. And, and knowing that they're about to go out into the world <clears throat> and be men, uh, and many of them I have tracked and know uh, they're not in any, any kind of trouble that we know of, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, but they get to go out into the world with a little bit more information that will lift them more toward the favor of creating safe and fair spaces for women and girls, right? Um, that, that within itself, to reach that age group, is is a, is a major success. Um, you know, some of the pitfalls have been going into uh, doing the work in the environment. The stage hasn't been set for the environment. So, uh, for example, a group brought me in to do this work, and they only gave me three hours. Mm. And when I got to when I got to the building. They didn't allow. They didn't let the room become available for us to train in till forty-five minutes after the time we were supposed to start. Oh, so you got two hours ain't nothing, huh? And, right, and then when we went to start, they didn't have the things in place for me to set up my PowerPoint. Right, and as you know, I have a very visual mm-hmm. uh, uh, presentation, right? So I couldn't do a, a PowerPoint. And then uh, 
when we got close to the end, maybe 30 minutes beforehand, uh, two of the administration members came in and tried to start the conversation all over again and wanted, wanted me and the team that I was training to give them a summary of what had just happened. So essentially, I had like an hour to work. Uh. And it takes about an hour or two to get pushed back. So that was an unsuccessful training as far as the impact I like to have uh, when I'm in the room. Maybe somebody got something and walked in. I believe they did, but not at the level they could have if we had had full time. Uh, three hours already was, was super low, you know. Yeah, that's wild. That's like uh, it kind of for me. It represents where their where their value is as an organization. If they're gonna, yeah, it was almost like and, you know. I I told them that in front of I told the administration guys that in front of the team I was training. Okay, good. Because <laughs> as you know, I don't hold back. No, no, you don't. That's why I like, that's why I appreciate you so much. <laughs> I can't afford to hold back. It's too detrimental. No, that's yeah. Wow. Well, um. I really appreciate you, Amari. You're one of the dudes that I could like, you know, we've we've had lunch together, we've been in trainings together. I could talk with you and pick your mind for hours. Um, and I got to wrap up. Um, so I just want to extend a thank you. Uh, I do have, I always end each episode with wisdom from the wise. So I'll, I'll prompt you with that question in a sec. But before I ask you the question, I'm going to end this episode um, with the song from the woman you sent me. Um, if you want to maybe just give a little bit of a bio, maybe a snippet, 30 second of who she is, I'm going to end our episode uh, playing playing a song from her. Yeah, so this, this sister is a, is a friend of mine, um, and she became a friend because her art and her spirit attracted me, like one of the most beautiful spirits ever, uh, a great passion for the people, for her people. Uh, she's an amazing mother. And she's a great supporter of other artists. Uh, she's an MC out of Detroit, powerhouse MC, named Emily San Diego. Okay. All right. I'm gonna actually. Pro- yeah, I was. I was. I had never heard of her. But I was incredibly impressed with the, yeah. the flow, the content, the the song. I was one of the songs I was vibing with was the. Um, I forget the name of, it, but uh, had a political. Real dope political oh, vibe uh, to it. Black and white. Yeah, that was. Whew. Yeah. Yeah, she's yeah, she's she, she, she's awesome. She got major skills. So, and what's your name again? Say one more time for 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 us. Ellie, Ellie San Diego. Okay, thank you, thank you. Um, so let's end with wisdom from the wise Omari, and I think with this, it's kind of a vague question, so do your best. But I'm thinking like, for any uh, male identifying person out there who is maybe they're not full on board with trying to look within and, and unpack their stuff, but they're also not throwing up the wall of defense and letting ego get in the way. What would you tell to, like, beginners who are maybe just curious about this, give a little bit of advice on how to, like, at least get going with um, trying to filter out some of this toxicity that we carry? Well, you know, a colleague of mine, really, really a leader in the field, somebody I looked up to when I got started and still do, uh, Tony Porter, who has a book called Breaking Out of the Man Box. Uh, to me, that is, I don't even want to call it a one-on-one. It's a great introduction to the work, 
into the perspective and into the way of life. But it's not only a great introduction, it's actually a great guide. Mm. Um, it's, it's just an amazing book. Um, so I will go there. Uh, I will go within. I will talk to the women I'm closest to and ask them, what do they experience at the hands of men? What is their viewpoint on misogyny and sexism? Uh, what have they seen in me that they think I can work on to to be better uh, equipped to to evolve in, in in favor of creating fair and safe spaces for women and girls? So if, if you want to go, I think it's always great to go from an introspective standpoint. And to me, when you read Tony Porter's book, it forces you into introspection. Okay. Tony Porter. Yeah, yeah, I remember you showing us some of his, uh, his speeches and his, some of his talks. So, oh yeah, I appreciate the the advice, the wisdom that you carry, and I'm just blessed that you know sometimes I feel like I've been to trainings or I've met people and then that's the end of it. I'm just blessed we've stayed connected, and I, I'm hoping that we can uh, still do so because I look up to you, man. Yeah, and hopefully uh, this stuff clears up and. And Portland brings uh, the museum back out in January, and you and I get to hang out a little bit and break bread. I got to break bread with you mm-hmm. when I was there last fall, and I got to meet up with Brother Caesar. Oh, uh, that's how you met up with Caesar. Okay, cool. Yeah, we had we had lunch at a vegan spot. Um, so yeah, man, I'd love to be connected to y'all. I'm mean, I'm constantly impressed by y'all continually doing the work, and and this uh, to me. It feels really great as as you guys uh, came out of my training. Uh, it feels really great to know that you all are multiplying and carrying forth impact. Yeah, no, thank you. And that's you know that's the you know this this podcast is literally like the, the foundation of it came from from that training and 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 the, and the knowledge you gave and kind of the enlightenment I had and so. Um, I thank you, and I I was just trying to figure out another way I could do this work outside of just the work that I do in, in the organization and in my personal life, but how can I put it on another platform? So I appreciate you for the inspiration, um, and we'll talk soon, huh? All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Let me know if you need me back. I'll come back anytime. Will do. All right, then, Omari. Take it easy. All right, brother. All right. Mari Barksdale is off, and I appreciate y'all for rolling with us for another episode. Next week, we'll have another intermission before we kick off uh, episode three in a couple weeks. Uh, But before that, we're going to leave you with Ellie San Diego, the dope MC. She's out of Detroit, Michigan, as uh, Brother Omari was talking about. And this this song is called Black and White. Y'all take it easy, and uh, we'll connect next week. With Dad casting with Drew. Peace. Did you get my love letter? It was written in calligraphy. When you read it, did you get the vision? Did you picture me? Play it off or set it to the side like parentheses. Now I know I'm playing on your heart like a symphony orchestra. I'm the orchestrator and a life creator. I embody what it means to be a woman, demonstrator, liberator, fighting for a culture that's appropriated. Never gray, I'm never lukewarm, always black or white. Flashing lights, black at night. Guard your life, see either you can take a stand or you can kneel on the ground. When you were silent, they was cool, but they don't mess with you now. But that's okay, this is a birth of a 
yours for the taking. It's an abomination how many of your lives have been taken and stolen and broken. Yeah, we steady on it, we rolling. We are soldiers in the field, all black like an omen. human race from the mannequins savages study what all reaction is everybody is frantic the stable minded a panicking uh damaging the beauty that's remaining body can be broken yet the mind can't contain it who the hell's to blame it we see a different day but it seems all the same yet i remain courageous yo and i ain't anxious for nothing fist stay pumping power is the presumption cowards growing bunches ellie hit him with the punches Last child time, eat them like lunches. I'm your warrior, Xena. I'm your tragedy relief, FEMA. Keep climbing till I hit my zenith. I'ma keep grinding till I hit my zenith.